Who is an ethical slut? Many people dream of having an abundance of love and sex and friendship. Some believe that such a life is impossible and settle for less than they want, feeling always a little lonely, a little frustrated. Others try to achieve their dream but are thwarted by outside social pressures or by their own emotions and decide that such dreams may stay in the realm of fantasy. A few, though, persist and discover that being openly loving, intimate, and sexual with many people is not only possible, but can be more rewarding than they ever imagined. People have been succeeding at free love for many centuries, often quietly, without much fanfare. In this book, we will share the techniques, the skills, and the ideals that have made it work for them. So who is an ethical slut? We are. Many many others are maybe you are too if you dream of freedom if you dream of intimacy both hot and profound if you dream of an abundance of friends and flirtation and affection and affection of following your desires and seeing where they take you then you've already taken the first step why we chose this title. From the moment you saw or heard about this book, you probably guessed that some of the terms may not have the meanings you're accustomed to. What kind of people would would revel in calling themselves sluts? And why would they insist on being recognized for their ethics? In most of the world, slut is a highly offensive term used to describe a woman whose sexuality is voracious, indiscriminate, and shameful. It's interesting to note that the analogous words stud or player used to describe a highly sexual man are often terms of approval and envy. If you ask about a man's morals, you'll probably hear about his honesty, loyalty, integrity, and high principles. When you ask about a woman's morals, you are more likely to hear about whom she shares sex with and under what conditions. We have a problem with this. So we are proud to reclaim the word slut as a term of approval, even endearment. To us, a slut is a person of any gender who celebrates sexuality according to the radical proposition that sex is nice and pleasure is good for you. Sluts may choose to have no sex at all or to get cozy with the fifth fleet. They may be heterosexual, homosexual, asexual, or bisexual, radical activists, or peaceful suburbanites. As proud sluts, we believe that sex and sexual love and fundamental forces for good, activities with the potential to strengthen intimate bonds, enhance lives, often open spiritual awareness, even change the world. Furthermore, we believe that every consensual intimate relationship has these potentials and that any erotic pathway consciously chosen and mindfully followed can be a positive creative force in the lives of individuals and their communities. Sluts share their sexuality the way philanthropists share their money because they have a lot of it to share because it makes them happy to share it because sharing makes the world a better place. Sluts often find that the more love and sex they give away, the more they have. A loaves and fishes miracle in which greed and generosity go hand in hand to provide more for everybody. Imagine living in sexual abundance.
about you. Maybe you dream of maintaining several long-term sexual and intimate relationships. Maybe your dream is of a lot of friendships that may or may not include sex. Maybe the idea of genital sex holds no interest for you, but you still want to form a warm, loving partnership. Or two, or three. Maybe you want monogamy, but a kind of monogamy that you and your partner have created according to your own desires and not the blueprint handed down by the greater culture. Maybe you want to be single, connecting where and how you want without changing your fundamental independence. Maybe you want to be part of a couple that occasionally shares a bed with a mutually desirable third party or that takes a planned night away from monogamy every now and then. Maybe you dream of three-way or four-way or orgiastic connections. Maybe you cherish solitude and want to find ways to get your needs met all by yourself with the occasional help of a friend or lover. Or maybe you want to explore different paths, to try a few things, to see how they feel, to see how many kinds of relating you can fit into your busy and interesting life. All these possible, <clears throat> excuse me, all these possibilities and a hundred more are legitimate ways of being an ethical slut. As you read this book, you'll find that some of our ideas will be good fits for the way you want to live and others will not. Take what you want and leave the rest. As long as you and the people you care about are consenting, growing, and taking good care of yourselves and the people around you, you're doing ethical sluthood right. So don't let someone else's opinion, including ours, tell you otherwise. About us. Between us, we represent a fairly large slice of the pie. That is sexual diversity. Dossie is a therapist in private practice in San Fran, specializing in alternative sexualities, non-traditional relationships, and therapy for trauma survivors. She has identified as queer for more than 30 years, informed by the women's and the gay men's communities, and by her years of bisexuality before that, She committed to an open sexual lifestyle in 1969 when her daughter was a newborn and taught her first workshop on unlearning jealousy in 1973. She spent about half of her adult life living single, sort of, with families of housemates, lovers, and other intimates. She makes her home in the mountains north of San Fran. Many of you may remember Janet from the first edition of his book as Catherine A., least a pen name she used back when her sons were still minors now that they're grown and independent she has gone back to using her real name janet lived as a teenage slut in college but then essayed traditional monogamy in a heterosexual marriage for more than a decade since the end of that marriage she is not considered monogamy an option for her while most people would call her bisexual she thinks of herself as gender bent and can't quite figure out how sexual orientation is supposed to work when you're sometimes male and sometimes female she's married to a bio guy whose gender is as flexible as hers which is less complicated than it sounds she makes her living as a writer publisher and teacher and lives in eugene oregon together we've been lovers dear friends co-authors and co-conspirators for a quarter a century 
in and out of various other relationships, homes, and projects. We are both parents of grown children, both active in the BDSM leather kink communities, and both creative writers. We think we're a great example of what can happen if you don't try to force all your relationships into the monogamous till death do us part model. Sexual Adventurers the world generally views sluts as debased, degraded, promiscuous, indiscriminate, jaded, immoral adventurers, destructive, out of control, and driven by some form of psychopathology that prevents them from entering into a healthy monogamous relationship. Oh yes, and definitely not ethical. We see ourselves as people who are committed to finding a place of sanity with sex and relationships, and to freeing ourselves to enjoy sex and sexual love in as many ways as may fit for each of us. We may not always know what fits without trying it on, so we tend to be curious and adventurous. When we see someone who intrigues us, we like to feel free to respond. And as we explore our response to discover whatever is special about this new, fascinating person... We like relating to different kinds of people and reveling in how our differences expand our horizons and offer us new ways to be ourselves. Sluts are not necessarily sexual athletes, although many of us do train more than most. Most of us value sex, not as a way to set records, but for the pleasure it brings us and the good times we get to share with however many wonderful people. We love adventure. The word adventurer is sometimes used pejoratively, suggesting that the adventurous person is immature, inauthentic, not really willing to grow up and settle down into a presumably monogamous lifestyle. We wonder, what's wrong with having adventures? Can't we have adventures and still raise children, buy houses, and do the work that's important to us? Of course we can. So let's qualify for mortgages, just like everybody else. We tend to like our lives complicated, and the challenge of maintaining stable work and home lives while discovering new people and ideas is just what we need to keep us interested and engaged. One of the most valuable things we learn from open sexual lifestyles is that our programming about love, intimacy, and sex can be rewritten. When we begin to question all the ways we've been told we ought to be, we can begin to edit and rewrite our old tapes. By breaking the rules, we both free and empower ourselves. We hate boredom. We are people who are greedy to experience all that life has to offer and are also generous in sharing what we have to offer. We love to be the good time had by all. What's new in this edition? In the eight years since the previous edition of The Ethical Slut was published, polyamory has has become hugely more visible, which means that a very wide variety of people of all races, genders, orientations, and backgrounds are becoming interested in exploring the possibilities of relationships beyond culturally compelled monogamy. In this edition, we have done our best to speak to as wide a range of potential readers as we can. Hence, you'll find that we've given more attention to people of color, asexual and aromantic people, people in their teens and early 20s, people of non-binary gender, and other groups that too often receive short shrift from sex-positive communities. 
A long overdue conversation about the nature and nuance of sexual consent has also moved into the forefront of the cultural dialogue. We've included a new chapter on this important topic. And just for fun, we've also added some short histories of the people and ideas that have helped make alternative sexuality what it is today. The language in this book. When you sit down to write a book about sex, as we hope you one day will, you will discover that centuries of censorship have left us with very little adequate language with which to discuss the joys and occasional worries of sex. The language that we do have often carries implicit judgments. If the only polite way to talk about sexuality is in medical Latin, vulvas and puenda, puendas, penes and testes are only doctors allowed to talk about sex is sex all about disease meanwhile most of the originally english words cock and cunt fucking and oh yeah slut often have a hostile or coarse feel to them and are used as insults to degrade people and their sexuality euphemisms peepees and pussies jade gates and mighty towers sound as if we are embarrassed maybe we are Our approach to a sex-positive language is to reclaim the original English words and by using them as positive descriptors, wash them clean. Hence our adoption of the word slut, which we are proud to say has infiltrated the language in the form of slut walks and the rejection of slut shaming. You will also find in this book words like fuck and cock and cunt used, not as insults, but to mean what they actually mean. We are writing this book from a sex-positive position in the belief that we are working for a healthier and happier and safer world. We are aware, also, that for many people, sex has not been a positive thing in their lives, whether from cultural or religious shaming or from exposure to sexual violence, and sometimes because for them, genital sex is not what they want. Our fondest utopian visions are that when sex and love and intimacy are truly free and seen as positive forces in our lives and in the world, we will be much more able to solve the problems of rape, sexual bullying, shaming, and repression. Indeed, we hope this book contributes to a world where you won't settle for anything less than love and freedom in your sex life. Cultural blind spots can show up as centrisms, couple centrisms, heterocentrisms, eurocentrisms, non non-monogamy extramarital sex and open relationships all define themselves by what they aren't thus implying that there's some exceptional exception to the normal relationships that normal people have polyamory was coined in 1992 and is currently we are thrilled to report included in the oxford english dictionary formed from latin and greek roots that translate as loving many this word has been adopted by many sluts to describe their lifestyles. It is often abbreviated as poly, as in, I am a poly person. Some use it to mean multiple committed live-in relationships, forms of group marriage. Others use it as an umbrella word to cover all forms of sex and love and domesticity outside conventional monogamy. The word polyamory has moved into the language so rapidly that we think maybe the language has been waiting for it for a very long time. In this new world of sex and relationships, new terms get coined all the time to describe or attempt to describe the ever-changing spectrum of ways in which people arrange their lives. If, as you're reading, you encounter a term you don't understand, please check the glossary in the back of the book where we've defined many of these terms for you. The first usage of each glossary term is marked like this in bold 
black letters. People often ask us why we talk so much about sex. We see sex as the elephant in the room, huge, taking up lots of space and too seldom included in the discourse about relationships. In this book, we will talk about many kinds of love and we'll also talk about sexual expression of all of them. Finally, we are doing our best to make the language in this book as pansexual and gender neutral as we can. This book is for everybody. In previous editions, we switched back and forth between he and she pronouns, but in this edition, with the newly increased visibility of non-binary lifestyles and genders, we will use the gender neutral pronouns they them and there whenever possible pansexual means including everyone as a sexual being straight bi lesbian gay asexual non-binary trans queer old young disabled pervert male female questioning transitioning the examples and quotations in this book have been drawn from throughout the huge array of lifestyles we've encountered in our combined eight decades of sluthood there are infinite right ways to be sexual and we want to affirm all of them myths and realities chapter two those who set off down the path of exploring new kinds of relationships and new lifestyles often find themselves blocked by beliefs, both their own and those of others, about the way society should be, the way relationships should be, and the way people should be. These beliefs are deeply rooted and far too often unexamined. We have all been taught that one way of relating, lifelong monogamous heterosexual marriage is the only right way. We are told that monogamy is normal and natural. If our desires do not fit into that constraint, we are morally deficient, psychologically disturbed, and going against nature. Many of us feel instinctively that something is wrong with this picture, but how can you dig up and examine a belief that you don't even know you behold, that you don't even know you hold? The ideal of lifelong monogamy as the only proper goal for relationships is so deeply buried in our culture that it's almost invisible. We operate on these beliefs without even knowing we believe them. They're under our feet all the time. The foundation of our the foundation for our assumptions, our values, our desires, our myths, our exceptions. We don't notice them until we trip over them. Where do these beliefs get started? Often they evolve to meet conditions that no longer exist. Our beliefs about traditional marriage date from agrarian cultures where you made everything you ate or wore or used, where large extended families helped get this huge amount of work done so nobody starved, and where marriage was a working proposition. When we talk about traditional family values, this is the family we are talking about, an extended family of grandparents and aunts and cousins, an organization structured to accomplish the work of staying alive. We see large families functioning in traditional ways in America today, often in cultures recently transplanted transplanted from other countries, or as a basic support system among economically vulnerable urban or rural populations. Controlling sexual behavior didn't seem to be that important outside the propertyed class until the Industrial Revolution, which launched a whole new era of sex negativity. Perhaps because of the rising middle class and the limited space for children in urban cultures, doctors and ministers in the late 18th century began to claim that masturbation was unhealthy and sinful, that this most innocent of sexual outlets was dangerous to society. Male circumcision became commonplace in this era in an effort to discourage masturbation. Any desire for sex, even with yourself, had become a shameful secret. 
but human nature will win out we are horny creatures and the more sexually repressive a culture becomes the more outrageous its covert sexual thoughts and behaviors will become as any fan of victorian porn can attest in his lectures to young communists in germany during the rise of hitler and the nazi psychologist william Reich theorized that the suppression of sexuality was essential to an authoritarian government Without the imposition of anti-sexual morality, he believed, people would be free from shame and would trust their own sense of right and wrong. They would be unlikely to march to war against their wishes or to operate death camps. The nuclear family, which consists of parents and children relatively isolated from the extended family, is a relic of the 20th century middle class. Children no longer work on the farm or in the family business. They are raised almost like pets. Marriage today is no longer essential for survival. Now we marry in pursuit of comfort, security, sex, intimacy, and emotional connection. The increase in divorce, so deplored by today's religious right, may simply reflect the economic reality that today most of us can afford to leave relationships in which we are not happy. No one will starve. And still modern Puritans attempt to enforce the nuclear family and monogamous marriage by teaching sexual shame. We believe the current set of Otabees and any other set are cultural artifacts rather than natural laws. Indeed, nature is wondrously diverse, offering us infinite possibilities. We would like to live in a culture that respects the choices made by sluts as highly as we respect the couple celebrating their 50th anniversary. And come to think of it, what makes us assume that such a couple is monogamous anyway? We are paving new roads across new territory. We have no culturally approved scripts for open sexual lifestyles. We need to write our own. To write your own script requires a lot of effort and a lot of honesty and is the kind of hard work that brings many rewards. You may find the right way for you and three years from now decide you want to live a different way and that's fine. You write the script. You get to make the choices, and you get to change your mind. Exercise. Sluts we know and love. Make a list of all the people you can think of who are not monogamous, including public figures, characters from TV, movies, books, and so on. How do you feel about each of them? What can you learn, positive or negative? What do they tell you about what kind of slut you do and don't want to be?